And welcome, friends, to Generations. This is Kevin Swanson. And today we're going to talk about one of the most important subjects of all. We get back to really the commission that Jesus gave to us. He came, he discipled 12, and then he told us to disciple others. And that's just a simple thing. So I just did a presentation to a group of Mexican families. This would have been last week. And and they asked me, well, what's the real point you're trying to make in your books? And I said, well, basically to do what Jesus did. So it's not more complicated than that. It's ultimately to follow his example. In Mark chapter 3, we find that he chose 12 to be with him. So essential. He never formed a seminary, never had a college, never put a school together. Granted, that's an efficient way to convey facts, but it's so limited, so limited, too limited. Uh, so base, the, the message is so simple. It's do what Jesus did. And, of course, we don't need to do 12. We could do three. Or if the Lord gives us four children, we can raise four children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ, which ultimately means that we raise our children, we disciple our children as Jesus did his disciples. I mean, it's just that simple. It's nothing more complicated. It's just humanistic systems that have realigned our entire way of looking at the world and life and discipleship and education and such. But we need to come back to what God said, what Jesus told us to do, and uh, and to ignore and to put aside the sorts of things that we've inherited from humanistic systems that were developed over the last 200 years. So it's a very simple idea that we're trying to convey today, and uh, and, and I've taken this as seriously as I possibly can, and and, and doing it each and every day, I've been blessed with five children. My wife and I raised them over a period of, what was it, 30 years. Uh, now they're 23 to 33 years of age. And I disciple uh, about 14 to 16 young men on any given week. And uh, one of the resources I use more than anything else is the leader development mentoring checklist that uh, Dr. Phil Kaiser uh, put together. Uh, Philip Kaiser is a pastor of Dominion Covenant Church in Omaha, Nebraska, and he's got some great resources. Blue, biblicalblueprints.org is the website, and uh, Pastor Kaiser joins me now on Generations. Phil, it's good to have you back with us. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Yeah, I mean, you and I share such a common vision. I think one of the things that's interesting is I think you picked up so much of this from your father, and I did the same thing. You know, I was homeschooled in the 1960s and 1970s, and so much of the way in which I approached life had to do with the things my father taught me. And, uh, and I, you know, people have said, well, what was your most important, you know, discipleship or preparation or what have you? And I have always said it's my father uh, that, that took that time out for us when we were on the mission field in Japan. And I think you have something of a similar testimony, don't you? Yes, absolutely. I, I I caught a lot of what his vision was about by just hanging around him, watching him, seeing him weeping over the lost when he would go into a new tribal area that had never heard the gospel, and uh, just catching his passion for spreading the gospel. Um, for me, it was a relational thing. Um, leadership is taught, I think, as you, you just mentioned, in relationship of a community. And I think one of the tragedies of the modern church is that they've fallen into the good king syndrome. You know, a lot of good kings in, in the Old Testament that had incredible leadership skills, but 
they failed to train people in leadership, like Hezekiah. Uh, his son turned out to be one of the worst scoundrels ever, Manasseh. Yeah. And in Isaiah 39, I think there's a little bit of a clue as to what, what was going on there. God tells them that uh, because of his pride, his children, his grandchildren are going to be cast into exile in Babylon, made eunuchs. And he said, oh, good. The word of the Lord is good. At least there will be peace and truth in my days. It's an incredibly short-sighted uh -huh. uh, attitude. And um, what we want to do is to see leaders catching a vision of multiplying themselves and teaching others to multiply themselves so that there is a multiplication of leaders over time. Well, it's something I've seen in Second Timothy chapter 2. Uh, the responsibilities of a pastor or an elder is always, one, to preach the word, and second, to disciple other young men in order that they'd be prepared to disciple other young men. And God wants an, a replication in the ministry work. There has to be a discipleship of others who will disciple others, and that needs to continue for generation upon generation. And uh, I guess too many ministries are really dependent upon a you know a single guy just kind of throwing all these things out there, and then it doesn't really replicate into the next generation. We don't want that for our churches. We certainly don't want that for our families, do we? Right, right. You know, t teaching involves what you know, but uh, true learning involves what you're actually doing. And a lot of our training involves uh, a collage of assignments and tasks and responsibilities and deadlines and pressures and putting people through crisis situations. Uh, there's so much that you can learn in, in the difficult uh, uh, times of rejection and uh, uh, learning from your mistakes and successes. And uh, for, for me, um, my whole approach to leadership can be summed up in five C's. Uh, Christ, community, character, calling, and competencies. And competencies is probably the least important. Those can be learned through, uh, many of them anyway, can be learned through books. Um, but the, the, the first three especially, I think, are learned in context of community. Right, which was Christ, calling. Yeah, Christ, community, you know, loving yeah. Christ with all your heart loving your neighbor as yourself, community, mm -hmm. developing character in those contexts, mm -hmm. and over time, beginning to sense God's calling upon your life, and then picking up the competencies that are needed to carry out your calling. Right. Okay. One of the ways I put it is there are three legs on a stool for the preparation of any young person. One is the, the books, which you typically get in college. Uh, or you could just go out and buy 200 books or do something in terms of, you know, correspondence course or online courses. Uh, secondly would be uh, the application of all of that to life. And the third, the third leg on the stool is what I would call worship and discipleship uh, in you know, spiritual faith and character. So, so there's a spiritual leg. There's a there's a physical economic leg in which your life applying the things you're learning along the way as you walk by the way as you work by the way and then there's the books which is just you know head knowledge mm -hmm. and it seems to me that college and seminary tend to be very good with that one leg on the stool like they can get throw you the books at you and get you some lectures right. but they're not very good at you know the fear of god the worship of god 
the development of character, the discipleship in spiritual matters. And certainly they're not very good at getting the information, the knowledge off the island and actually apply it in the real life situations, whether it be in work or ministry. So, um, you know, college and seminary, very, very limited in terms of what they can do. I mean, they do something, but it's extremely limited. Certainly is not going to prepare a young person for life or for ministry. You agree with that? Right, right. Yo, absolutely. You know, uh, Luke 6, I don't know which verse it is, says a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. There's a transference of life into the other person. This is one of the reasons why in Acts 4 it says, you know, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, at least as far as they were concerned, (laughs) they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And this is one of the things you've been doing, is having people actually live with you, work with you, do assignments together with you. And Mm -hmm. you're providing the opportunities for growth, opportunities for learning through experiences, responsibilities, Mm -hmm. relationships, all yes. of those things. Yes. We're doing the best we can to replicate, you know, what the Lord Jesus did. In fact, it's interesting that he immediately sent out the 12. You know, it ha- couldn't have been more than six months or a year into it. Uh, we don't have the time frame, but uh, certainly within three years. Uh, he, he sent them out uh, to do the work. He, was, he wanted them to take the kingdom message out and uh, to cast out the demons and to heal. So he life applied the message almost immediately. He wanted, he wanted the wheels on the ground. He didn't want you know, them to sit there and just absorb all of this stuff without actually getting their feet wet. So you know, we see this pattern with our Lord, and uh, we want to see this with our, our young disciples as well. Let me get back to this uh, leadership development, uh, uh, biblicalblueprints.org resource that you put out. Why did you call it leader development for sons and young men? I guess the assumption is that we want all of our sons and young men to be leaders. Yeah, in some capacity, they're going to be leading either for ill or for good. And uh, I think the family is the first line of defense for that. And then we as pastors build on top of that. So I mentor every 20-year-old and above uh, in our church, while the elders do, um, I, I take a portion of them, and uh, Gary takes uh, another portion of them. But anyway, uh, we try to invest in their lives to prepare them to be the kinds of leaders that they need to be, and even discerning what their callings will be for the future. Hmm. And you put this together, this is some 600 questions, 586 questions, relating to, much relating to the character, the faith and the character of the young men. Why the focal point on character? Well, I tell you, you lack character, and uh, th- th- you're going to fall at some point. Yeah. Uh, most of the the people who have flamed out in the past uh, few decades in leadership uh, have not fallen over lack of competencies. I mean, I have wept over the number of Christian politicians and businessmen, pastors, fathers, who have been taken out by Satan in the sexual arena. And there are even more leaders who have been neutralized by Satan because they've just not learned how to control their anger, their fear, impure thinking, uh, bitterness, lack of submission. Honestly, I don't think you could be a good leader unless you've learned how to submit to leadership. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. Well, we get through a lot of these different subjects, and I can just name them. Communication, joy, faith, prayer, disciplines of thought, humility, 
a sonship relationship versus the orphan heart, a self-denial, mortification of sin, love for others, future orientation, mission vision, spiritual warfare, spiritual vitality, worship, Bible study, evangelism, personal integrity, and accountability, community development, stewardship, life planning and management, networking, leadership skills, leadership development, ministry management, conflict management. Wow. This goes on and on so so, so much to, to leadership. And I think you mentioned that, you know, getting out of seminary and rushing back into a church situation. Boy, you know, you get into conflict situations, you realize that there's a lot more required here than just taking a practical theology course in your seminary. Oh, yes, absolutely. And even Jesus modeled that for us. You know, he said that uh, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do for whatever he does, how, uh, the son, how does it go? The son also does it in like manner. Yes. For the, yes. The father loves the son, shows him all things that he himself does. In other words, we're not training people in things that we've not already gone through. Yes. It's a transference of life. Yes. And there's something about the side-by-side um, relationship that really yes. helps, doesn't it? Uh, when you're going through a church conflict and you watch how uh, the pastor handle, handles the situation or you watch how your father interacts with the uh, you know, conflict or difficulty that's come out of the family. And uh, does he respond in faith and hope and and love in the process. Uh, that, that, that matters, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Um, one of the things that uh, Dr. Greg Bonson taught me was showing how ethics really, you need to look through a grid of what the Bible says of four things, not just deontology, which is the rules of the principles, but how you're given action or words uh, is going to uh, have an outcome for good or for, for ill and the unique situation that a person is in. So Christ would deal with the Pharisees different than he dealt with the woman at the well. Uh, each individual is unique. They've got unique problems. Um, and he was very sensitive uh, to where that person was at and then the unique situation that a person is in. When you have all four of those uh, together, a person's going to have a much fuller orbed approach to the character part of the five C's uh, than he would otherwise. We were talking about communication with uh, four to five young men in one of our study groups this week. And I, I, I told these guys, you know, brothers, when we get through a difficult conversation or a conflict of some sort and you walk away from it, you should consider yourself. How did you handle it? Uh, consider three things. One was the motive of your heart. That would be something of the existential, right? What was my heart motive? Uh, what was my framework uh, towards the other in that difficult conversation? And in other words, you're going over it. You're, you're considering yourself. And of course, in a conflict, in a difficult situation, that's one of the best situations in which to understand your own character. And I said, you know, consider, you know, was there love? Was there hatred? Was there anger? Was there a sense of self-protection, self-orientation? Uh, that's your motive. And then secondly, consider all the words you said. Was it in accord with the truth? Was it pure? Was it, uh, did you communicate rightly? 
was it, did you have the right form of emotion? How was it received? And that, of course, moves more into the area of the effect. But, uh, and then as you come away from it, ask yourself, did I, did I, do I consider myself edified by that conversation? Though it was a difficult conversation. Uh, was I building up? Was I built up? And was my brother built up in that conversation? So those are the sorts of things, you know, you consider. And of course, in difficult conversations, conflicts, nobody gets an A plus, but we do get a chance to examine ourselves in the communication itself. So that speaks something to the different aspects of, um, of, of character as we consider ourselves and how we operate. So, uh, you know, we, we, we want to, we want to be able to walk through these things, be honest with ourselves, and then be honest with others as well. H- how do you cultivate that honest conversation in the discipleship? Uh, how do you encourage the young men to, uh, to, to speak to their own situation and, uh, and be transparent in that? Yeah, I, I, I think of an example where one of our children uh, said something that was mean, and his response was, well, it's the truth, what I'm just telling the truth, but he had not considered the context in which he was doing it, the attitude with which he was doing it. And I used um, uh, a scripture that says, uh, he who blesses his friend uh, with a loud voice rising early in the morning, it will be counted as a curse. And he could say, hey, I was just blessing him, but it was the wrong context, 2 a.m., right? <laughs> with a wrong motive, I want to irritate him. Mm-hmm. And a wrong consequence, uh, this person is alienated. He's not feeling blessed at all. And so helping the children to work through, it's not enough to say, I'm doing the right thing. We got to do the right thing with the right heart, in the right context, and in consideration of the person that we're dealing with. As you disciple young men, you continue to do that. What have you learned as the best methods to do it? Now, of course, I'm working through this, uh, this mentorship checklist that you put together as well as going through the book of Proverbs, we go through the book of Psalms together. Uh, so we're always starting out with the Word, and uh, and then we we start working through the leader development course that you've done, and then we end in prayer. So all all of the men pray at the end of our session together. Now, of course, that's a little bit of an organized session that we do together. Uh, oftentimes, I get the opportunity to work together with young men. Of course, that offers even more opportunities to talk about character issues and and, uh, and and see that the application of the leadership principles are actually happening within their own experience. So uh, some other thoughts that, you know, you, you have, do, some things you've learned in, uh, in mentorship. Right. One of the things that we pray about every day in our leadership is that God would sovereignly be bringing into their lives uh, things that will help them to grow and learn. In a very real sense, we're simply cooperating with God in His work of leadership development. He's the ultimate leader developer. And God has orchestrated many events from the time a child is born all the way through up into adulthood of how to prepare to be a leader. Uh, Romans 8.28 says, we know all things work together for good. And so when you see a person uh, maybe has been very rudely persecuted by somebody in the world or even somebody in the church, we try, try to help them to not only process how to react to that person, but how to deal with their own heart issues that have been elicited and say, okay, there obviously is some room for growth in you because you've become bitter over this. Or maybe they haven't become bitter, but they have, uh, they, they've responded in a way that shows insecurity. 
uh, you know, they're maybe have the idolatry of being people pleasers, and so they're not going to confront. Well, there are times where we have to confront rather than being a people pleaser. So every situation that God's orchestrating into their lives, we try to recognize, take advantage of, and realize we're just cooperating with God and his work of leadership development. Let's talk about whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's talk about the importance of this supernatural life that works through us uh, that's very different than the sort of leadership we talk about and, you know, the world. So talk to that area. You're talking about um, uh, not just our devotions, uh, where uh, we, we begin our day, we continue our day uh, with a constant awareness of God's presence and His power working yes. in and through us. Yes. Uh, th- that has to be developed. And some people, they're only thinking about God when they're in the worship service or in their personal devotions. But trying to get people to very consciously be living their lives every day before God. Uh, when I was much younger, and I, I, I'm not sure if I could recommend everything in the book, but one of the things, books that really helped me to do this was uh, from the Middle Ages, uh, Brother Lawrence, uh, Practicing the Presence, I think was the name of the book, mm-hmm. uh, where he peeled potatoes, he did all kinds of mundane tasks, but he had learned how to do even those mundane tasks as unto Christ. And um, uh, prayerfully, uh, wanting God to use this to minister to other people. And it it was just some phenomenal testimonies that this person had, even from the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you wouldn't think you could learn much about uh, developing a relationship with Christ in the kitchen, but he showed how you can, even on the most mundane tasks of life. So so what we need to understand is that that as we do the work, we are in relationship. Uh, We are in Christ. We are the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do it with all our heart as unto the Lord Jesus Christ. That provides, hopefully, tremendous motive but also a sense of power that, uh, you know, as you think about running the race in uh, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, that uh, yes. we, we look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, that there is a faith walk as we're looking to Jesus, his finished work, his person, his presence, and our relationship with him, that, that you know, we are not our yes. own. We are bought with a price, and now we will do everything we do with all of our heart as unto the Lord and in the presence of the Lord. So that, that, that's different. That's a different thing than the average person getting up, going to work, making a bunch of money and buying stuff. Amen. Amen. And really it's as you uh, have a faith in God in everything that you do 24 seven, that you begin to develop this sense of calling, which uh, it, it's really God's call upon your life, whether it's to be the best housewife that you can be, or it might be a specific ministry, it's God's calling upon your life that makes you have a sense of purpose, gives you excitement, enthusiasm in what you are doing, because you know if God's called you to to it, it's important. It's going to count. And it becomes an increased specificity about the calling as the years go by. And what I encourage the young men with is to be a good Joseph. You know, at the time, you are called to your father's household. Now you're called to Potiphar's household. Be the best Potiphar servant you can possibly be. Now you're called to prison ministry. Be the best 
prison minister you can possibly be in the calling, and then eventually called to the second place in the kingdom of the Egyptians. Uh, but yes. you know his calling is developing, but he is seeing himself as being called in each of these individual contexts. Yes, and, and you know another thing that's really helped, and I, we did this with our children. I took them on very tough assignments. Uh, Jonathan, when he was a teenager, went with me into rural India where we faced persecution, we faced all kinds of bad environment sickness and whatnot, but we're always trying to give our uh, emerging leaders challenging assignments that stretch and mature them and force them to depend upon God's grace. Um, you don't want to give them too much of a challenge, so you have to be very careful how, how challenging you give it, otherwise they'll be dis become discouraged and give up. But if you don't give them enough challenge, they're never going to grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. Well, friends, uh, out of time, so much more to say about mentorship, discipleship, especially of our young men. Same principles can be applied to our young women. Of course, the Word of God is very strong on this, that yes, the older women should be discipling the younger women, the older men, the younger men as well. And uh, this is the crying need of the day. And we need to shift our resources. We need to put our time, our money, whatever it is, into the most important things that Jesus has for us uh, as parents, as pastors, as leaders and families and churches. Uh, we absolutely need to engage in relationship. Yes, relational discipleship, the focus on character and with uh, the intent of life integrating all of the learning experiences. And that is effectively uh, the theory of education that we have been uh, promoting for uh, 20 years of this ministry. But uh, let's apply it. Let's, let's make it happen within our churches and within our families. And this great little leader development uh, resource, highly recommended, biblicalblueprints.org is where to find it. It's called Leader Development, a mentoring course for sons and young men by Dr. Philip Kaiser, who has been our guest on this edition of the program. Thank you, Phil. It's always good to catch up with you. And thank you for your resources, too. Very welcome. God bless you. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.